0: once more in prayer and Wes would you open us up in prayer please Amen. I'm to take a little bit of an opportunity here just to thank others for their service here to the church and things that you may not recognize going on behind the scenes, um, mainly because they are behind the scenes, and that's uh, Nick and Jeremy back there who faithfully serve in that ministry of making sure that our services are provided online and that we have ability to get the services out there. So I want to welcome those who are joining online in their homes and those of you who are here this morning and uh, thank you uh, guys for doing your work back there for those who are serving up here on our worship team and and in many other areas in our church. I know many of you are engaged and really appreciate that because it takes a body working together uh, in glorifying God and the advancement of his kingdom. So thank you all for participating in that and what you do for the church. Um, Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be Covering verses 4 through 10, but I just backed us up one verse into verse 3 just to kind of help from con- for context's sake and kind of flow into the message this morning from what Wes taught us last Sunday. And I think we actually have those verses that we'll be able to project here for you on the screen here in just a moment. Uh, I have a few things that I'll be diverting your attention to the overhead up here above me here in just a moment. But first, uh, let us let's read this passage of scripture together beginning in 1st John chapter 3 verse 3 and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wes had brought a very good message to us last week and kind of bringing us into these verses this morning. And it was also what I would call a very convicting message for us. I know it challenged me. I hope it challenged you as well to stop and really evaluate our walk with Christ. And we can even go a couple of Sundays back with the message that Ray gave and how we see this flow of conviction, if you will, that has gone throughout this. But it's also just a call to really evaluate ourselves, to really evaluate our walk with Christ. And we say things that... um, About the scripture that we're reading and we say these things are hard or these things are heavy or these things are convicting but I also want you to know that we find great joy in what is found here in our text this morning that even though it may be hard and convicting and challenging that we should still see God's word as a joy and a delight to go into and study together and just the over all grace that he has accorded us through salvation in Jesus Christ alone is cause for great joy. Hebrews twelve six says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So when we go into the word of God and it rebukes and it chastises, we can take great joy in that knowing that we are his child. Because if we were not his child, the rebuke, the chastisement, the conviction would not be coming to us. But because we have that conviction, we can take joy in it because we know the Lord loves us. He loves those who are his, and what a joy it is to belong to God and have the blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ. And what a privilege to have his word before us this morning, that we can study it together. What a privilege it is for us to have a gift of prayer, that we can go to our Heavenly Father. We can praise him and we can seek him uh, through his word and through the gift of prayer, Now, there should be a recognized change for the one who has truly put their trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and have repented of their sin. And if we were to chart our life from the moment of salvation onward, we should be able to see a trend. And that trend may have a little bit of dip in it sometimes, but it should be uh on a course of trajectory, more upwards and upwards as we grow more in our relationship with God as we are more conformed into the image of Christ. That's what we should want to be seeing on this trend line. Where I work, we collect a lot of data from some of the tests that we run, and then that data is put into Excel if you've ever used that, and then you can use that data and chart your... um, kind of like a trend line for where your data is going. If we're to take this data and evaluation of ourselves, we put it into that that chart or those columns of information, and then we chart it out, we should be seeing that there is a progression, that we are being conformed, that we're growing more in our relationship with God and being conformed more into his image. And that's why I wanted to bring in verse 3 from last week, where we found there this verse that really speaks of that progressive sanctifying work That is going on within the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit's indwelling. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And that is a process by the Spirit of striving to become more sinless in our lives. Uh, Only Christ, we recognize through the scripture, only he was perfect because he was God. But if we are living out a saving type of faith, then you should be able to see a progression in that faith there is a practicing that we are reading about in the book of John but we are reading about today that should define whether or not you really are born of God and made his child or if you are in a different camp altogether and sad to say under the family and under the headship of your father who is the devil and I will tell you that if you find yourself in the latter after this evaluation that there is hope for you today. And it is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. There's some key definitions that I want us to look at first before we move on. And uh, we're going to show a chart here in just a moment. But let's, uh, well, yeah, you can go ahead and put it up there. We're going to cover this here in just a moment. But follow along with me. uh, Looking at verse 4, where we really are this morning, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning and also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. So everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So key definition here is what is sin? I think you could probably all hopefully stand up here and tell me what you you think it is, what the biblical definition is. And the way I'm going to describe it is not to uh, just diminish the impact of sin in our life or the damaging effects of it, but sin, simply put, is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark, and we all have failed to meet a mark that is out there for us, and that is the perfect mark, which is God himself, the standard of God, which is his holy word. In Romans 3.23, Paul puts this very well, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it has in mind this standard, or if you could imagine this target with a bullseye, that bullseye being the perfection of God, us striving to hit that mark as Christians in our walk with him, but we have all fallen short that arrow or that dart, if you will, has landed short of that. We, we fail to hit that perfectly every time. But God's bullseye is the standard, that is himself. And when we sin, we miss that mark. And consequently, we are guilty before a holy God whose standard is perfection. And the standard of God is laid out for us very clearly in his word, found in the Old Testament throughout, also in the New Testament. You go to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and we have his moral law in the Ten Commandments, and that moral law did not go away when Christ came. It says he came to complete the law, right? And that law is still there before us. That is the bullseye of our Christian walk, what we should be aiming for. But when we sin, we break his law. And to break his law is the practice of lawlessness, right? So sin and lawlessness, as we see it there in verse 4, is really one and the same. It's failing to meet God's holy standard. So we have that pretty clearly defined in Scripture of what sin and lawlessness is. And Scripture in John today also tells us that we have a practice and I know it's cliche to say something like, well, practice what you preach, and that's usually you know, what we're telling the hypocrite who tell us that we're supposed to be doing something a certain way, and that we're failing to do it, they're pointing it out, but they're doing the same thing that we're doing, and that's what we usually think of when someone uses the phrase, practice what you preach. But I think we should maybe ask ourselves, is what is it, what is the practice that we preach. So rather than practice what you preach, what is the practice that we preach? If we're evaluating our own walk, and also that you preach what you practice. And you may be saying to me, well, I'm not up here like you are, Owen, standing behind that pulpit preaching or teaching. I rather call it teaching, but, uh, or I'm not Ray or I'm not Wes who is up there preaching, but really you are. I mean, you're preaching every day when you walk out there, you're preaching a practice. And what is that practice in your life? Your practice, it goes before you and it will preach what you believe, whether it is through your words and what you say and what you speak at home, what you speak and say in your workplace, uh, in social gatherings, in the church, wherever you find yourself, but it'll also be seen in your actions and how you treat people. And how you react to things and what your response is to even, you know, persecutions that come against you. Scripture in John today tells us that we have a practice. And either we are practicing righteousness, which I would define as striving to hit the mark of being more Christ-like. Or we are practicing sin and that is continually missing the mark or not even aiming for it altogether. Because you really don't have a clear idea of what that mark is. To describe someone who makes a practice of sinning would be to say that they are a habitual sinner, if you will, that a sinful lifestyle is something that marks or defines their life. And this is continual sinning against God. Sin and lawlessness would define your life if you were to have someone maybe do an evaluation of you and kind of list the things that they see you say or hear you saying or see you doing, and and you look at it, and it would be sin, it would be lawlessness. Remember, you know, there are sins of commission, but there are also sins of omission. You know The sins of commission, you know, God says, do not murder. We go out and murder someone, that's a sin of commission. But when God tells us to do something and we refuse to do it, and it's clear to us in his word, that's a sin of omission, failing to do something that God has commanded us to do. Well, then in, in contrast to the sin and lawlessness and one who practices that, we want to be those who practice righteousness their life is one that strives for obedience unto God. And you can tell they are someone who loves the Lord. Their practice preaches it in what they say and what they do. They serve, they love, they strive for moral excellence before God to glorify him. So before I get too much further into that, let's go ahead and go to that chart next, Jeremy, if you don't mind. And this table here is what I've done with these verses just to kind of put things side by side so I could better understand them because you probably found where John does a lot of back and forth um, but is very clear in that back and forth meaning that he doesn't really give us a little uh, out in between that we either have good and evil we either have light and darkness uh, we either have sin or righteousness and that's what he's done for us here and so I've got two categories here one of them is called the children of God and one is called the children of the devil and if you can't see it there there's another slide that just breaks it out and has just the children of God. If you want to go to that one, we'll, we'll focus on that one first so that maybe you can see it better up there on the screen. Okay, so where do we get the children of God or the children of the devil? Well, that is found at the end of our verses this morning, and that is found in verse 10 where it says, By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So verse 10 states it very clearly. There's evidences of who are the children of God, and then there are evidences of those who are children of the devil, and that's why I've broken it out this way. Now really realize, this is my chart um, I'm not going to insert it in the Bible and pretend like, you know, I'm rewriting the text of Scripture here. This is just something that I've done to help maybe make it just a little bit more clear when I'm doing the comparison. But first, let's look at what it is to be a child of God. What are the characteristics or what are the qualities of someone who is a child of God? That first one there is they do not keep on sinning. That keep on sinning is that, that progression. Uh, that is a day-by-day day kind of thing. But look at verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So pretty clear that if you're a child of God that you shouldn't keep on sinning. There shouldn't be this defined sinfulness, lawlessness, when one observes your life or when you observe your own life and evaluate this. But verse 9, let's um, look there. No one born of God, there it is again, makes a practice of Of sinning, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So two verses there that are qualities that would mark a person's life, that would show them to be a child of God. Uh, Something key there on verse 6, and it's also in verse 9 in a sense, because there's a mutual uh, back and forth going on here. We have the one who does not sin is because they abide. And we've talked about that Greek word before. It's that Greek word "meno," which means to rest in God or to be rooted in him. And that can only come through salvation and the abiding presence of his Holy Spirit. Because Jesus promises that he must go to the Father. This is in John chapter 14, so that he can send the other helper. He must do the work of salvation on the cross, ascend to the Father, so that he can provide them another helper. Through the one who has faith in Jesus Christ and trusts in his completed work, he gives us his Holy Spirit that he promised there would be with us and would be in us. And by that work of the Holy Spirit, it is causing us to resist the temptation to sin. It's causing us to detest sin in our lives, to hate the sin that we do, and thereby that sanctifying work is causing us to want to strive for sinlessness. Now, we don't arrive at perfection, but that abiding and looking to Christ as the source of our overcoming life, overcoming sin, is how we are able to keep from sinning. And that's what we are as a child of God. We are an abode, if you will, for the presence of His Holy Spirit that He comes to indwell us. And then notice also the children of God have their sins taken away, they are forgiven. And another way to describe or define forgiven is to have sins removed from them. We see that in verse 5, and we're going to take some time at the end to look a little bit more at this verse. But it says, you know that he appeared in order to take away away sins, and there is no sin. So if you are a child of God, you are made a child of God through Christ's redeeming work and putting your faith in him and trusting in him as your savior and repenting of that sin, the sins are taken away and removed. You are forgiven. Then child of God will practice righteousness. So much the same sense that we talked about, striving for sinlessness, there will be a, a, something that takes over in the practicing of righteousness. And that's found in verse 7. little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And that again, like the keeping from sinning, practicing righteousness is only enabled by his presence in us, by the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in helping us to overcome and helping us to aim for that mark of wanting to be more Christ-like, growing more in him. And then the fourth one on that row down from children of God is that God's seed abides in him. And a child of God is called born of God. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this is evident, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil, who does not practice righteousness, is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So it's very black and white there. You are either born of God, or you are not born of God. And if you are born of God, if you have been born again, then God's seed abides in you. And we've talked about that Holy Spirit coming to indwell the life of a believer. Ray is teaching the kids about the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're called children of God, because now we have him in us, and his seed abides in us. So it's not just us abiding in him, but it's him in us. There's that that mutual knowing that we've talked about before that not only does do we know God, or we can say that we know the Lord, but the Lord knows us, that he knows us as his child. It's like the shepherd who hears the voice of his sheep. He knows his sheep, and they know him. And that's what it is to be a child of God and be born of him into a new life. We are a new creation in him. And then lastly, I put here that the child of God loves his fellow brother. And that is something else that we're able to do by the Holy Spirit. The same indwelling of the Holy Spirit among the children of God, who all are children of God, we are to love one another. We are brought into the same family of God, and we are to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This doesn't mean that we don't show love to the outside world and those outside of the household of faith, but we should be showing even more love and more care and concern for the body of Christ, for those who are his children. We should want the other would-be in the family of God, and we should make it our, our effort to proclaim the gospel wherever we are so that they can become children of God. All right, so those, those are the ones that would be qualities or characteristics of who is a child of God, but let's go to the other one now. This may be the harder chart to look at and consider and evaluate ourselves against. Who are the children of the devil? I think John is pretty clear In describing what the qualities or characteristics are of this type. Notice that they make a practice of sinning. And we read that in verse 4 already. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Look at it again in verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's... That's what we call the very hard and the very uh, weighty stuff when we look at things like that. Do you make a practice of sinning? Is that a habit in your life that you continue to walk in this pattern of sin and lawlessness? Second thing is, is they, has, they have not seen him, nor do they know him. I can get that from verse 6 where it says no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. So if you do not know the Lord and he does not know you, that mutual kind of knowing, then you were without his presence within you. The Holy Spirit is not in the one who is a child of the devil. They have not seen him, they have not known him. And then thirdly, does not practice righteousness. So in contrast to the one who walks and patterns their life after Christ, and you could say practices righteousness, this one has no aptitude for it. Because, again, no presence of the Holy Spirit within, so they're not doing anything to practice righteousness. Their life is marked by a pattern of sinful behaviors, that habitual sinfulness, and rather than it being one who's striving after righteousness. Another mark of the child of the devil is that they are not of God. In order to be a child of God, you must be born again. But if they are not born again and have been regenerated and made new in him, then they are not his child. And there will be no evidence of them being a child of God because they don't love their brother. They're not made part of the family of God, and so they have no love for those within the church, or they might be able to fake their way for a while, but when you really see their heart or hear the things that are in their heart, there's evidence, it gives evidence that they are not of God, they're not part of his family, and therefore they are children of the devil. So I hope you're able to see there with me the very stark contrast between those who would be Considered children of God and the things that would mark their life or the things that should mark your life. If you are claiming to know Christ and be found in Him, then these things should be marking your life. But if you're not, then you're under another headship of your spiritual home. I guess I could say it that way because you have one father or the other. You can't have both and you can't have something in between. So who your father is will be evidenced by what you practice or what you preach. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter when speaking to those who, I don't know, you call them the the Jesus groupies. Um, They followed him for all the miracles that he performed. They wanted to see if he was just going to be able to... Increase the fish and the bread and feed them all again. And and when he was able to do that, they followed after him. And that he he did some really neat things through the miracles that he was able to perform. But then when he started to speak of the hard things, the challenging things that pointed to his death and what he would accomplish, the the true colors of them would be revealed, and Jesus would recognize them for who they were, even though they were following after him just uh, for for the show is what they wanted. When he started speaking of the things that would be hard for them to understand, then they began to reveal their true colors. And Jesus points them out. John chapter 8 verses 42 through 44. If you'll want to turn there with me, look at John chapter 8 verses 42 through 44. You'll see a lot of similarities with what we're reading today, in first, John. This is the Gospel of John. And beginning in verse 42, this is Jesus pointing out the evidence that they are really not a child of God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. There are some things that, God, that John uh, writes here that Jesus has said to those who were following after him but their faith in him was not genuine. They were there for the wrong reasons and he ascribes to them who their father is. They are of their father, the devil. And you can see that they're, they're shown as uh, liars because they're of him. Their father is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. And for those who are his children, the mark of true salvation should also be evidenced in what they practice. And that practice should be preached through their lives and the things that they say and the things that they do. Turn to Romans 6 verses 16 through 18. I know I should be drinking water rather than coffee because the more coffee I drink, the faster I will speak. (laughs) Romans 6, verse 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So no longer being one who is enslaved to their sin and that marking and being a pattern of their life, but rather now considering themselves dead to sin, no longer a slave to it, but now, having been born into a a new relationship, having been born of God and being a child of God, now we are committed to becoming slaves of righteousness. And that should mark a pattern of the one's life who is a child of God. And as I told you at the beginning of the message, that if suddenly you have realized that you are under the headship or you are under the father of the wrong household, that there is hope. And that hope is found tucked into the set of verses that we've been studying and going through today. And that's in verse 5 and the second half of verse 8. So let's look at those verses as we kind of close out this section of Scripture. And there's two keys here, I believe, in our remedy to sin. And the first one is verse 5. It says, you know, so he's speaking to children of God, you know, that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. I hope we understand that the him that is used here, the pronoun him, is Jesus Christ. The reason the son of that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And then the second half of verse eight, second half of verse eight says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So really, you have the gospel inserted in this comparison of who's a child of God and who's a child of Satan, and in there we see the hope. And that God in his sovereign plan, he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. And a definition, as I told you earlier, forgiveness is to have our sins taken away, to have them removed from us. And that is a a joyous thing to contemplate. And for those who are a child of God, that is what has been done for you, that Christ has removed your sin from you. In Psalm 103, 11 through 12, Old Testament pointing to the gospel says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Forgiveness is only found in and through Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us by his sin atonement on the cross. That all the sin and lawlessness that we've practiced could somehow be removed from our account and be transferred to the perfect one, Jesus Christ, the righteous the righteous—that's what John, how he describes him in First John two one. He says, "My little children, I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the one who is righteous. And if Jesus had not appeared. As John states in verse 5, we know that he did appear is what John's saying, but if he had not appeared, then our sins have not been taken away, and there is no means of having these sins removed because we cannot forgive our own sins. Jesus had to come so that our sins could be forgiven, that they could be atoned for. See, we cannot work them off. And you know, my dad used to tell me, and he jokingly, when we'd go out to eat, and he's like, oh, I don't know if I have enough money to pay for this. You might have to go wash dishes, as if I might have to work off the, the bill. <laughs> we can't do that for our sin. It's impossible for us to do that. We cannot atone for them. But praise be to God, he sent us a perfect Savior in Christ himself. And the only one worthy and qualified, because as John states, in him, there is no sin. In Owen, there is sin. Ray, there is sin. Julio, Wes, Jeremy, uh, Maria. There's pointing fingers here. <laughs> I could point at every one of you. <laughs> there is sin. <laughs> Marriage counseling at 3 p.m. <laughs> but in Jesus, there is no sin. Our sin atonement required a sinless savior one that was utterly worthy and one whose blood atonement would be sufficient once and for all to cleanse us from all of our sin that second half of verse eight says the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil because he could because he was a sinless atoning sacrifice if the lawless one was not under the restraint of god Imagine how rampant sin and lawlessness the works of the devil. How imagine how that bad that would be. You know, even now the enemy cannot do what he is not permitted to do. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 through 10, Paul offering encouragement to those who were believers, he says These things will be revealed in time, but there is one who is restraining them, but there will be a lawless one who has appeared. It's even already at work. I mean, we even see that today. It just seems like society is degrading further and further into sin and lawlessness. We can see that only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. And so be saved. And in Jesus appearing for the first time, and through what he accomplished on the cross, he destroyed the works of the devil. No more would sin have dominion over those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin. Romans six, twelve through fourteen, let no one Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And I inserted just that passage and remember that Paul will go in saying that grace is not a license for you to go on sinning, If that's in you and you're seeing a pattern of sin in your life, you need to evaluate and see, really, are you a child of God? But remember that sin no more has dominion over you because of why? Because of what we read in that second half of verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, that they were destroyed on the cross. And in Christ, our hope rests In that though death, the physical death, will come to us all, we are not going to escape that on this earth. But the Scripture speaks of another death, and it's called the second death in the book of Revelation. That is eternity in hell, or the lake of fire, as you would see it described in Revelation. But Revelation 2.11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death will not touch us because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and thereby the works of the devil were destroyed. It no longer has dominion over us and only because we have trusted in Christ having destroyed the works of the devil. Romans 8.37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So let us come back to this really simple but challenging question and that is, whose child are you? Right. We looked up at our chart on the screen a while ago. I don't know if it's still up there for you, but that's just an evaluation tool. That's just a chart that I created, which helped me, I think, in that that self-evaluation that we all must do. But there can only be one answer to that question, whose child are you? Child of God or child of Satan? Malachi, Old Testament, again, speaking of future, speaking of New Testament realities, would say in Malachi three sixteen through 18, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day where I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the righteous. And the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Seems like Malachi and John were on the same page, right? Clear distinctions have been made and a line has been drawn through our study of John as we begin to evaluate which side that we stand on. And I know we're going to get probably more opportunities to do this again. I haven't read ahead into what Ray will be bringing next Sunday, but it could very well be another evaluation for us, but we need that. You know, it's something that is for our betterment, it's for our good. But before we leave this book, how many more chances do we need? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. So we better be sure under whose headship are we under? Whose family are we part of? Who have you given your life over to? you find yourself continually walking in habitual sin, never finding victory, much less wanting victory over that sin that holds you. As I said at the beginning, that it is not too late to receive the salvation that God has for you. You can be brought in as a child of God just like we all once were. That is by grace you have been saved, saved through faith. Faith is the completed work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and the forgiveness of our sins repent of your sin and turn to him today trust in his forgiveness and the second death will not be for you, you know, john makes his purpose in writing this letter very clear we're going to be covering it again but it's found in first john 5 13 he says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life this is to enable us to as readers, to examine ourselves so that we might know whether or not our faith is genuine, whether it is a real saving kind of faith. I remember in the book of James that he writes of those who would assent to their being a God, who would profess a belief, but he says even the demons have that belief. But there is no practice in their life. There is no way of defining whether or not they have put their faith in Jesus Christ and trusted in Him as their Savior, because you don't see anything working out of their life that gives evidence to that. We want our lives to give evidence of a saving faith. And what John presents to us here is not a deeper faith compared to a shallower kind of faith either, but rather a saving faith versus a non-saving faith. In salvation, faith and repentance go hand in hand. And we should not think that you know, faith is just a synonym for repentance, no repentance is required of us and so long as we've believed you know, that, that things are, are good to go for us just because we put our faith, recognize that if there is no mark of repentance in the life, then you are not practicing sinlessness, you are not practicing righteousness, you are not a child of God. Thereby, there is no genuine saving faith in your life. We cannot escape the continual emphasis that the New Testament places on repentance and the fruit that should be expected in the heart of the one who truly has been changed. And though we as Christians know we cannot become perfect in this life, the realness of our salvation should be seen in how we strive for sinlessness and practice righteousness. I want to close with this doxology from the book of Jude, verses 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise, and everything that was said here in this teaching, and everything that we've studied here, God, I pray that You would be in it and that you would work through it. And a lot of it was my words. And God, I pray that is there anything that I said in error that you would take that, you would remove it from our our minds, that you would help us not to understand it, that everything that we've taken in here today from your word would just, the truths would be infused in our lives. And God, that we would begin to live this out in us, that one would be able to look upon us and see that we are a child of God and it be evidenced by a genuine saving faith that we are striving to be sinless in our walk, Lord, that we are striving to be righteous and to practice that and that we are looking to your abiding presence in us to help us in that, God. But if we've been brought to this evaluation, we've seen, I can't see this in my life, I see no character or no qualities that would would be of a child of God, then, Lord, help us to know that you have made a way for us through your Son, Jesus Christ the one who came you yourself who who came to dwell with us and show us that you have forgiveness for us that you have grace for us that you have mercy but it is only for one who puts their faith in what you've done for them That you took our debt, the sin debt that we owed, that you transferred it to your one and only son, Jesus Christ. And he paid the debt that we owed so that we would not have to. But when our sins were transferred to him, that you then transferred his righteousness to us so that we could be declared righteous in you. And God, that you rose again, that you defeated death, that you defeated sin. And you proved that by your resurrection. And that the works of the enemy and the sway of him no longer has Dominion over us when we are your child. But God, for one who is not, then sin has dominion over them. And the second death is the one they will experience into eternity in hell. But for those of us who have called your name and called you, Lord, and trusted in your work on the cross and repented of our sin, Lord, for us, there is an eternity in heaven with you. The second death will not touch us because it has been defeated. And it has all been done through Jesus Christ. We just thank you and we praise you and we glorify you today. And Lord, just help us as we walk out of here to live these truths out in our lives that one would be able to see that we are practicing righteousness, that we are your child. God, just make that uh, in us today, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.